Hey, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Welcome to FBC. It's great to be with you this morning as we kick off this brand new series called uh, Be Rich. And we're talking about how can we make a difference? Because we all want to know how we can make a difference. And sometimes that can be difficult. Sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes we think, how on earth can I do anything that will have an impact? Well, that's the stuff that we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. And I want to tell you something that you can do straight away uh, on fbcnext.com slash mynextstep. Um, we talk about lots of stuff on a Sunday morning and, and life is busy and life is hectic and as soon as you get home, um, lots of that stuff that you perhaps were inspired, thought, oh, yeah, I'll do that or I'll try some of those things, gets easily forgotten. Um, we've put a whole bunch of resources on this page, my next step. You can get to it just on the finchupfbcnext.com homepage, uh, which just helps you go a little bit deeper. There's some Bible studies that are going into some of the stuff that we're talking about, um, some links to other things that you can do in order to take what we've been looking at and exploring over this series and apply it to your lives and go a little bit deeper. And we'll be adding stuff to that page throughout the series as we talk about new themes and, and as that goes. So, so bookmark that page, my next step um, on fbcnext.com. And one really simple next step that I want to give you a heads up about right at the start um, of this message uh, is happening right at the end of this month. Uh, on the 29th of March is the day the clocks change, the day you get an hour um, less um, in bed. Um, and uh, each year we have an amazing opportunity to partner with our community and take part um, in the, the community litter pick. Uh, and it's a great way to, to bless the community and show love um, to, to the community. It's often, it's, for many of us, it's a Sunday that we stay away and we think, okay, I'm not going to come to church uh, on that day, which is really sad because it's a great way where we can actually live out our faith and demonstrate um, our faith. It's a really simple way that we can make a difference uh, in the lives of, of our community. And this year, we're, we're turning up a notch. We're not just doing a litter pick. We are doing a community action day. <gasps> Yeah, I can see you're excited by that. Uh, and you might be wondering what a Community Action Day is all about. Well, it's a litter pick, uh, but there's other stuff as well. We're going to have some um, of the local charities that we're linked to, some that we support, uh, be here um, sharing information about what they do. They have stalls and displays in the cafe area, and you can find out a little bit more about them and find out ways that you could support them and pray for them and get involved in those things. There'll be other things to do as well. All of that information is on fbcnext.com. It's also on this page here, so you can find out all about that. So the end of March, 29th of March, we won't be having a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock service. We'll, uh, the whole morning will be this action project that we're being engaged in. And I really hope you come. I really hope you don't think, oh, that's an opportunity for me to stay in bed. That's an opportunity for me not to go to church. Because actually, this is the one week of the year where we can really demonstrate what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to put our faith uh, on our front lines and all those other things that we talk about lots here. Um, but anyway, back to this morning. We're talking about um, be rich, and we want to talk about, um, you know, how can we make a difference? And the whole point on that is, as I said, uh, we want to make a difference, but we look at all the problems in our community and in our world. You know, you turn on the news or go on the internet, and you just look at, you know, there's just a, a, such a vast issue out there. How can I ever make a difference? And I'm reminded of that famous story, perhaps you've heard, um, of uh, this boy and his um, uh, dad and his son. They're going for a walk on a beach after this big storm. 
and the storm had washed up these starfish. There were thousands and thousands of starfish just sort of stuck on the beach. And if you're a starfish, there's not much you can do if you're, on, you're just like this, you're sort of sunbathing. And the, the beach is full of all these starfish. And the sun goes down and he starts picking up the starfish and throwing them into the sea one by one, picking one of them up, throwing out into the sea. He's not skimming, you know, he's like, yeah, I've got seven. You know, he's not doing that. He's just trying to throw them back into the sea because they can't move, they're just stuck there, they're just cooking in the sun. And the dad looks at the son and he says, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I'm picking up starfish and throwing them into the sea. And the dad goes, why are you doing that? You'll never make a difference, look at all of them. And the son picks up one starfish and he looks at his dad as he throws it into the sea. And he says, I made a difference to that one. I made a difference to that one. And the message that I hear from Jesus as a follower of Jesus is often, you know, the impact that we have on one individual, on the person in front of us, the difference that we can make in one life is a difference. And sometimes we can become immobilized by the breadth or the severity of issues out there and it stops us doing anything. Actually, one act of love, one act of kindness, one act of generosity can have a huge impact on one person's life. And that has a ripple that goes far beyond we could ever uh, notice. So we can make a difference, and that's the stuff that we're going to talk about. And the whole reason we've called this series Be Rich, you might think, well, that's a strange name uh, to talk about. It. You know, I want you to be rich. I want you to experience what richness is all about. But I'm not talking about that necessarily from accumulating more and more wealth. There's a guy called Paul who was one of the leaders in the early church, and um, he mentored this guy called Timothy, who was also a leader in the early church. And he wrote letters of instructions to Timothy, telling Timothy, this is what to do, and this is how you should teach and instruct other people. And this is what he says uh, to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And that's the whole thing that we're looking at um, through this, this series. You know, standing on the shoulders of Timothy, Paul instructed them, I want you to command those who are rich in this world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, not to be rich in what they acquire, not to be rich in what they hold on to, but to be rich in generosity, to be rich in the impact and the difference that they make in the lives of the people um, around them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how can we be rich through giving, through serving, and through loving. And I'm going to pick up the first of those um, this morning. Um, and as we do that, I want us to look at something a guy called James uh, wrote. Now, James was the brother of Jesus, and he was one of the leaders, again, in the early church. Now, that's an amazing thing in itself. I often say this, and I can't step over uh, this too quickly. You know, James was the younger brother of, of Jesus, uh, and James believed that his older brother was the son of God. Now, who's got a brother, an older sibling? I've got a twin who's actually six minutes younger than me, so he's not older, but uh, there you go. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? What would it take for you to believe that your brother was divine? For me, it would take an absolute miracle for me to believe that my brother was the son of God. And that's exactly the same for James. Because James didn't always believe that his brother Jesus was divine. He didn't always believe that his brother Jesus was the Messiah. Actually, at some point, he thought his brother was a little bit mad. And it wasn't until, and Matt talked about this earlier as we sung that song, it wasn't until he saw his brother crucified. It wasn't until he saw his brother dead and buried, and he knew where he was buried. You know, he saw the place and he knew the people who took Jesus' body and stuck him in a tomb. He saw that happen. He experienced that. He witnessed it. And then he saw Jesus walking around again. 
He ate with him and he met with him and he spoke with him. And that changed something in him. Of course it would because he saw his brother die and buried and then he saw him again. And he realized that his brother was more than just his brother. That his brother was his Lord, his God, his Savior. And he dedicated his life to sharing that life-transforming message about Jesus with anyone he could. So James became a leader in the early church. He became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. So quite a big deal, quite an important place. And he wrote this letter that we find in the New Testament sort of instructing people about how to live and how to follow um, after Jesus. And the bottom line of what, um, well, what James has to say, I have to say, is a little bit challenging and it's quite difficult. So I'm going to have to ask you to put your big boy pants on um, and come with me as we explore this because it can be a little bit difficult and it can be a little bit challenging as we go through this message. But this is what James is saying and we don't want to cut away from that. But I want to give you the bottom line right at the start before you, you know, have to go off and collect kings or whatever it is that you have to do. Maybe you'll fall asleep or whatever. Let me tell you the whole point of what James is saying this morning. This is what James is saying. Start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. That's the message that that we're going to look at this morning. Start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. So let's dive in. Now listen, you rich people. Starts off well, doesn't it? You always like that. If someone says, now listen, you think, okay, I'm into a good side. But most of us at this point um, breathe a sigh of relief. You go, phew, because he's talking to rich people and, and therefore he's not talking to us. He's not talking uh, to me. He's talking to other people. And, and that's because we don't feel like we're rich. We don't think we're rich. And the reason we don't think we're rich or we don't feel we're rich is, is mainly because of two factors. There's loads of other factors, but there's two common factors. The first factor is we compare upwards. Have you ever noticed that? You're happy to do that, that? That you look at what you have and you compare it with what other people have, but you always compare it with what people have who have more than you. So you look at somebody else and think, well, I know what I earn, and I compare it with somebody who earns more than me. Or, or I, I look at where I live, and I compare that with somebody who's got a bigger house. Or I look at what I drive, and I compare it with somebody who's got a, a faster car. Or I look at where I go on holiday, and I compare it to somebody who goes on better holidays. Or I look at the, my TV and the size of my TV, and I compare it to somebody who's got a bigger TV. We always compare upwards. And it makes us feel, you know, I, I'm not rich, but that's rich. I'm not not rich because I don't have that car, I don't live in that house, I don't go on those holidays, I don't have that size of TV. But we don't do it the other way. We don't look at what we've got and compare it with people who have less than us. We don't look at what we have and think, you know, actually, I've got far more than other people around me. And the reason we don't do that is because it makes us feel uncomfortable. You know, it's really difficult to complain about the picture quality on your 55-inch TV when thinking about a family with six kids living in one room. You know, it makes us feel really uncomfortable Uh, So we just don't do it. So we compare upwards. The second reason why many of us don't feel rich is because we have no margin. We spend everything that comes in. Some of us spend more than what comes in. And what happens is, you know, we get this amount come in, we spend that much, we just get into debt and it gets worse and worse uh, and worse. Um, And the the reason we do that um, is because lots of us, our mentality when it comes to money is this, live, save, give. We've talked about this many times uh, before, that most of us, our attitude is... um, when money comes in, well, I will live, I'll spend the first bit on me and what I need and on all those sorts of stuff. And then if there's anything left, I'll save from that. I'll put that away for a rainy day or whatever. And then if there's anything else, I'll give. And the reality is for most of us, we never get to that giving phase. Or if we do, it's quite reactive because we've spent all of that stuff. Uh, we've got no margin in which to save or in which to give. Now, the New Testament gives a new way of thinking on how we handle our money. Uh, and if we look at some of the stuff it says there, actually, it flips this around. Uh, and the principle is to give, save, 
live. Um, that actually instead of just as soon as money comes in, spending it on us and assuming because it comes to me, then it's for me, and therefore I can spend everything that comes to me on me. Actually, the New Testament principle on how we should approach our money is to, to give first, to set aside a proportion and, and give, and then set aside a proportion and save, and then live on the rest. And when we do that, it creates margin for us, and actually we can start to realize, actually, I do have more uh, than I thought I have. And anyway, the point is, you know, whether you, do we feel rich or, or, or don't feel rich, if you have an annual household income of £25,000 or more, you are in the top 1% of earners across the world. So therefore, you are rich, whether you feel like it or not. And I understand the factors that make us not feel rich, but if you have an annual household income of £25,000 or more, you are in the top 1% earners. And even if you're just below that, Generally, globally, you are rich. Now, we know that. We know that to be uh, true. And therefore, the stuff that James has to say is relevant to us. When he says, no, listen, rich people, actually, we need to take stock and pause and realize that actually that is us, that globally we are rich. So let's go back to what James has to say. Now, listen, you rich people, that's you and me. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Oh, that's great, isn't it? It's a really encouraging message this morning. Uh, So I've just told you you're rich, and now I've told you you're going to weep and wail because misery is coming your way. I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Now, actually, this is not me saying this. This is, this is James uh, saying this. And that, that seems a little bit shocking and a little bit offensive to us. Actually, this was more shocking and more offensive in the original context when James first said that. Because the whole point is, you know, what misery is coming on rich people? What, what have rich people got to worry about? Because they've got everything they need. They're rich. Surely they've got nothing um, to worry about. And the sort of assumption in the first century and, and before was, if you were rich, you were rich because you were blessed by God, um, because God loved you, and, and you were just rich because God had given you that money. And if you were poor, well, that was because God um, didn't love you as much as he loved them. Uh, and so, so he sort of poured his favor and his blessing on the people he loved, and he withheld it from the people that they didn't love. So poverty was seen as judgment, and richness was seen as blessing. Now, the New Testament sheds a completely new light um, on this. There's a misinterpretation of some Old Testament um, laws and Old Testament commands, and, and the New Testament actually actually shows us something very different. The New Testament teaches us that rich people aren't more loved. It tells us that rich people are more responsible. And that's what we see as we go through and we look at what Jesus says and we look at the stuff that happens in there. Is that, you know, rich people aren't more loved by God. Of course they're not. But rich people are more responsible. And if we're rich, uh, that's where we are. So let's get back to the verse. This is what James is saying. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. So what is this misery that is coming their way? Well, James knew something to be true back then that is still true um, today. Um, Because this whole thing about, you know, what have rich people got to, to worry about? The thing is, the more rich we have or the more stuff we have, the more we are tempted to put our trust in what we have. You know, the richer we get, the more stuff we acquire, the easier it is for us just to put our hope and our trust in that sort of stuff. And as we put our trust in what we acquire, we take our trust off of the one who provides and looks after us. So we put our trust into our stuff and our bank balance, and we take our trust off of God. And that ends in disaster. And the thing is, most of us have more now than we have ever had. Most of us have more stuff and we are richer now than we've ever been in our lives. But I'm pretty sure for most of us, 
We worry more about not having what we have than we ever had. We worry more now than we ever have done. We've had more stuff and we've acquired more stuff and we are richer and wealthier than we've ever been. But we worry more. And certainly that concept of, um, you know, what happens if I, if I lose my job or what happens if I don't have that stuff or what happens if I can't go there or can't do those things. We cling to our stuff. You know, the more we have, the more we hold on to, the more we cling to the stuff that we have. And this is foolishness. And James tells us why, you know, it's foolishness to just to hold on to and, and put all your hope and your trust in your stuff because, you know, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. You know, James is really laying into them. You know, you got weep and well because of the misery coming to you. You put all your hope and all your trust in your stuff. And the point is, it's not going to last. Even the most precious metals are going to corrode. Our stuff will outlive us. This is true for every single one of us. You will run out of time before you run out of stuff. Let me just say that again. Let that just sink in. You will run out of time before you run out of stuff. And we spend so much time and so much energy and so much emphasis on accumulating more things and actually realize, well, that stuff will outlive us. And at the end of our lives, what is it that we want to be left with? What are the things that we want to um, leave behind? You know, our, we will run out of time before we run out of stuff. And I know this to be true because I imagine you, like me, somewhere in your house has a drawer where you collect old mobile phones. Who's got a drawer of old mobile phones? Or a couple of old mobile, just three of us, there you go. So we'll have a counseling session later on. And what happened is that phone, you got a new phone, um, and you didn't know what to do with that current phone. And you, know, you had a newer phone, a better phone, a shinier phone, and thought, well, this phone is still good. I could still use this one day. Uh, and so you kept it and put it in a drawer. Now, it's probably so old that the software is you know, incompatible and it's completely useless. Back then, you could have, and I could have done this, think, I could give that away. Um, I could, or I could sell it and use the money for good. But no, I'll keep hold of it because one day I might need it. And I never needed it, and now it is completely worthless, and it's just gathering dust. Um, and that's just that whole mentality that we hold on to, that stuff that we have. I remember... Um, well, a long time ago, when my grandparents died and, and, and gone, and we were clearing out their house, and if you've ever had to do that, that's not a great job, it's not a fun job um, to do, and uh, I just remember looking at all the stuff that they had accumulated. Now, my grandparents lived through austerity, they knew what it was like to go without, yet they had still accumulated so much stuff that, was, that outlived them, and I'm thinking, you know, what are we going to do? I don't even understand half of this stuff that they've kept that's still there, and the vast majority of it was just thrown away, just you know, it wasn't good for anybody that all of this stuff had just accumulated. And this whole thing of our stuff will outlive us, that we will, um, we will run out of time before we run out of stuff. And, and therefore, why do we put so much emphasis on gathering and acquiring more stuff? Because our legacy, we want it to be far more than just the physical stuff that we leave behind. Wouldn't it be great if it was possible for us to go out of the world in the same way that we came in, with nothing? Wouldn't it be, I know that's not practical, I know that's not possible. My parents seem to be having a really good go at doing that, and they're constantly spending my inheritance on holidays and that sort of stuff. And we said to them, that's great, you know, go off and do that, just 
please don't leave us with debt. That's the only thing that we've, we've said to them. So they're having a good go at that. But for most of us, it's not possible, is it, for us to sort of go out on a zero balance, that, that we've not left any of that physical stuff behind. There was this amazing woman that I'm sure you've heard of called Mother Teresa. Uh, and she famously is known for, like, when she, she died, all she left behind was two saris and a bucket. So that's all she left behind, two saris and a bucket. But that's not true, is it? Because Mother Teresa left far more behind than two saris and a bucket. Her legacy lives on. But her legacy isn't linked to her accumulation of wealth. Her legacy isn't linked to her accumulation, I can't even say the word, of stuff. It's to do with the life that she's lived, the way, the generosity, the blessing that she's made on so many other people that she lives on in the hearts and minds of so many people. And her impact still lives on today because that legacy outlives her. And I'm sure all of us want the same. Now, I'm sure all of us want to leave something far behind far more than a bunch of old dusty mobile phones, that we want to leave a lasting legacy that will outlive us, uh, an impact on this world that's far more than our bank balance or our stuff. Now, what if we had the same attitude as Mother Teresa? What if we wanted to leave lots behind, but it not be stuff, it would be a legacy of impact, a legacy of blessing, a legacy of making a difference? And if that's true, and I'm sure that is true for, for most of us, why do we put more energy in gaining stuff than we do in being rich in goodness and being rich in mercy and being rich in generosity? Well, let's go back to James and see what else he has to say to us. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. It just gets better and better, uh, this verse. Now, James is using sort of ancient judgment language, and, and ancient judgment was, was violent and it was public. And James is doing something that his brother Jesus did a lot. He uses hyperbole. He uses extreme language to communicate an extreme point. And he's trying to make them see that your attitude just towards acquiring it and gathering stuff actually isn't going to be good for, for you. It will testify against you to you, it will eat your flesh like fire. In the end, it won't go well for you. And he's saying that, you know, your, your focus on just accumulating more and more stuff is an indictment against them, and it's an indictment against us. Um, and the whole thing about this is, you know, the issue isn't what comes in. You know, the issue isn't how much you earn. You know, the issue isn't looking at, you know, this is my salary, and I know most of the people around the world, um, their salary is far less and couldn't have that sort of stuff. We just end up feeling guilty about that stuff. The issue isn't how much money we have. It's, it's what we do with that. The issue isn't how much comes in. It's how much stacks up. It's how much we just cling and hold on to that. It's how much that becomes the part of who we are and our identity and our status and our focus for being. And James goes on, and, and he, you know, if you're hoping for a, an encouraging, nice, softer end to this, well, you have to come back later. Because he says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourselves, yourselves in the day of slaughter. And that sounds a little bit confusing. The first bit, yeah, we understand. You lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Okay, I understand what you mean by that. But what's this bit? You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. We don't get that because we have things like Tesco's and fridges or Waitrose and waiters. You know, we don't have to store, um, we, don't, we can store things up. We actually, we can buy things and leave it um, to stay there. Now, this 
didn't happen back there. The only things that kept were precious metals, um, grain, and cattle. And if you owned cattle, what you would do, would you, you would fatten up that cattle for this future day um, when you would kill the cattle um, for a celebration. And you might know what that day was. Maybe it was a wedding or a feast day or a celebration day, and you were preparing this cattle or this animal for that. Or you might just do that just in the chance that, well, a day is going to come and we're going to want to you know, use this on something. Like, if you have a nice bottle of champagne or a nice bottle of wine and you keep that somewhere, we're going to save that for, for a special occasion. That's, that's what happened uh, there. And what James is saying, you know, this practice that, that we all do in order you know, to get something ready for a day of celebration, well, you're doing that to yourself, so that you're fattening yourself up for the slaughter. And this literally happened. Now, I don't know if James knew what, you know, that there was something deeper in what he was saying here, but he's predicting something that's about to happen. Jesus did it um, too. James was um, killed. He was martyred in AD 62. He was you know, um, executed for his faith, his belief um, in, in Jesus. And we don't know about that through the New Testament. It's not recorded in the New Testament. A guy called Josephus, who's a Jewish historian and not a follower of Jesus, not a Christian, he records that for us. So that's recorded in history um, for us. And a few years later, after AD 62, when James was executed, um, we see something happen in Jerusalem, the place where James is a leader of the church, that the city gets taken under siege and it gets encircled and no one can get in and no one can get out. No food can get in. And uh, what happens is all these people, you know, who have built up wealth and have stored all that stuff, that, that wealth and that prosperity that they've hoarded becomes an issue for them because the people who don't have turn on them and many of them get killed by their own countrymen for the stuff that they have. And then eventually the walls are broken through um, and the armies invade and um, Jerusalem is set on fire, the temple is burnt down, the big stones that build this temple are thrown off over the wall you know, and the whole place is leveled and flattened and all the people in Jerusalem are murdered, are killed, are slaughtered by the advancing, invading army. And all of that stuff that was left over, all of the stuff that they'd acquired, what happens to that? Well, it's carted off to Rome and just goes to be part of the coffers there for Caesar and those things. You know, this literally happened, the thing that James was predicting. And the moral of the story, what I've already said, start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. And, you know, this is a little bit challenging uh, for us, and it can feel a little bit difficult and a little bit guilt-inducing, and that's not the point um, at all. But we know that stuff. If we just hold on to all of that stuff, and if our life becomes about what can I cling to, what can I acquire, actually, it doesn't leave us with that sense of feeling rich or being rich uh, that we're talking about here. It doesn't leave us with that, diff- that sense of how can I make a difference and how can I have an impact um, on that. And this whole thing um, about this, you know, start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding is a principle, a philosophy that Jesus assumes we'll do if we're followers of Jesus. He assumes that we'll give. You know, when Jesus talks about giving, he says, when you give. The assumption is that this is a part um, that we do. It's not if you give. Um, And so he talks a lot about that stuff from them. And the whole thing about giving, uh, from my own experience, is that giving makes a huge impact, a huge difference on us as individuals, as the people who give, but also on the people that we give to. Um, The the thing about giving, uh, you know, the give, save, live motto, is that when we do that, we become the boss of our money. You know, when we live, save, give, actually money's our boss. It tells 
tells us what to do, and we're sort of controlled by it. But when we, you know, our money comes in, our paycheck comes in, and right away we say, okay, I'm going to section off this amount of money and pull it over there, and I'm going to use that to give to other people, and it's not going to come on me. Actually, we take control, and we take charge, and it begins to shift our attitude, and it begins to shift our approach um, to how we do that. And, you know, the reason we struggle with that is, as I said before, most of us, we assume everything that comes to us is for us, is this sort of consumption assumption. If it comes to me, then it's for me, and therefore I will spend everything on me. And again, the New Testament teaches something very different on that, in that actually if it comes to you, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's for you to spend on you, that, that you are stewards of those things, that we're stewards of the stuff that God has entrusted to our care. And he asks us to use it wisely, to bless ourselves, to bless our families, to look after uh, them, but also to have an impact and bless other people. And this is something we practice at FBC. You know, we don't hold on to everything that comes to us. In fact, 20% of what is given to us through offering uh, stuff that happens today or through the bank accounts in the week, 20% of that stuff that comes in, we give out um, to support other charities locally, nationally, and internationally. And you're part of that. This year, we hope to give around £60,000 just from that set of money. And that makes a difference. That changes lives, and you're part of that. You can find out more about those organizations we support on fbcnext.com. There's a page um, all about that. And the reason we do this is because we realize that actually giving like this makes a difference. It helps us, but also makes a difference in the people that we support. You have the power, and you have the opportunity to make a difference. You know, and giving's one way that you, you can do that. You know, giving is, is great. Giving helps, Generosity changes lives. You know, the, the, the two are, are slightly different. And the reason is, you know, giving is a response. Generosity is a discipline. Let me explain what I mean by that. Giving is this sort of responsive thing that you see a need and you think, okay, I'll do something about that and, and I'll give um, to that. And that's great and that's a really positive thing to do and I really encourage you um, in that. Generosity takes that step for, further. Because gi- giving, when we do that, it sort of ticks a box. You know, and we can say to ourselves, I've done my bit. Have you ever felt like that? I feel justified now, so I've given my 10 quid to children in need, and that's good, and I feel good about myself, now I'm going to go back and book my holiday or whatever it is in those things, and we actually think, I- I- I've done my bit, and-, and that's good, and that's great, and if that's what you do, that's brilliant, keep on doing that. Generosity is a little bit different. Generosity is a discipline that we embrace, that actually means that we're able to give sacrificially and generously in a way that has a lasting impact. It means that we're able to embrace a give, save, live philosophy, and this is something that I've really had to work hard um, to do because I remember my very first paycheck and, and seeing the amount of money that the tax man took and I was not, it wasn't a very big paycheck already and they're already taking a significant amount. I'm like, what? That is not fair. And then other people saying, well, you should give a percentage of that away. And I'm like, oh, I've already given a percentage of that away. You want me to give more of that away? And I had to embrace that and I had to shift that. I had to change um, a mindset um, in myself because the money was my boss. You know, I was controlled by my money and I needed to shift something in that. And as Louise and I got married and we started life together. Those people who invested in us and challenged us and helped us uh, with that. And we had to actually do some things practically to discipline ourselves to embrace generosity. And so for us, we set up a separate bank account uh, that as soon as our salary comes in, we set up a portion and it gets paid into that separate bank account. We had to do the same for um, saving as well. Another bank account that we just put proportion money off and stick it in there to save. Because um, otherwise, if it's in that one bank account, I'll spend it. I, I'm guilty 
of the consumption assumption. So for me, that practice of separating it off and being able to have a pot of money from which I'm able to practice generosity and give to uh, other people has been really life-giving um, for us. And we get to partner with so many different people. You know, we give a significant amount to FBC, but we also um, support other organizations and individuals that we know and we care about, that we're passionate about. And we get to be part of their story. We make a difference in their lives and what they're doing, and we're part of the difference that they're making in the things that they do. That is so life-giving and so encouraging and so exciting. It's far better than a drawer full of mobile phones collecting dust. And this is a practice and a principle um, uh, that we've embraced. And you might be thinking, okay, Chris, I'm with you on that, but, but that sounds a little bit guilt-inducing. Why, why should we do that? Well, the stuff that we've sung about today is about this awesome creator God, this Jesus who loves us and cares for us, who's created us and has plans and purposes uh, for us, this Jesus who was willing to give completely of himself, utterly of himself, that in the person of Jesus, we see God at work, God giving absolutely all that he has, not holding anything back, the exuberant generosity that he's lavished love upon us, that he's lavished blessing upon us, that we see in Jesus uh, this, that God um, is willing to find himself tortured and crucified and rejected, nailed to a cross, giving up his life for you and for me. But in Jesus, we see that death could not hold him, that that generous act of giving meant that Jesus was able somehow to overturn the power of death, to overturn the power of darkness, to overturn all that stuff that separates us from him. And he rose into this glorious new life. And through that, invites us to do the same. That when I look at my God, I see generosity at work. And my response to him is, Lord, I want to be generous, just as you've been generous. So why do I give? Why do I practice generosity? Is it because it's something I have to do or something I'm supposed to do as a follower of Jesus? No. It's not a tick box religious activity. It's something I do out of a response because of the generosity that God has bestowed on me. So be generous. And it might mean shifting your attitude. It might mean shifting your actions. And maybe these two questions are something for you to think about. What attitudes do I need to change in order to embrace generosity? What habits do I need to shift in order to embrace generosity? So how can you do that this week, this month, this year? How can you practice generosity? Not out of religious observance or obedience, but out of response for the awesome grace and generosity that God has bestowed upon you. How can you be rich? Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you so much that you have poured blessing upon blessing on us. I thank you so much that you have been generous to us and you have not withheld anything from us. Lord, would you forgive us for those moments when we cling um, to the things that we hold on to, when we cling to our stuff. Lord, would you forgive us for those moments when we put all our focus and our energy on acquiring more stuff. Help us to be generous. And in doing so, in through giving in this way, may it be life-giving to us and life-giving to the people around us. Bless us, Lord, I pray. Amen.